right? How many of you know some people like that? How many just sitting next to someone like that, right? Um, so I want to uh, I want to kind of bridge from that video into my message with this story. So last uh, last night about four o'clock yesterday afternoon about four o'clock the DJ powered up in our neighborhood, and we live in a cul-de-sac with like seven houses. So I hear this getting really loud, and I'm thinking, "Yep, Joe's having a party," and uh, Joe is my neighbor who I really love, and. Joe has not yet found Christ, and I say not yet because he will. And uh, Joe makes frequent stops by my house uh, on his way to and from uh, his work, and we chat about different things that usually involve ultimately the kingdom of God, but he doesn't start that way. It just kind of ends up that way. So the party started, and I text Joe, and I said, hey, sounds like a party's going on. Um, I didn't get my invite or something like that. And he goes, come on down. Seriously, I was going to invite you, but I didn't see you sitting outside drinking coffee. And so I looked at Tammy. I said, let's go. She said, I don't want to go. I said, no, let's go. Come on, dress up. Let's go. Let's go. So we walked down the street. And can I tell you this? Nobody in that entire party looked like anybody in this room. It was culturally different, Right? And it was like a Matthew party. Remember when Jesus found Matthew and he said, hey, I'm going to go to your house tonight. And he invited all of his friends and they're all the tax collectors and the sinners and everybody was there. And uh, the Pharisees were outside criticizing Jesus because he was hanging out with those people. Remember that? This is a story, okay? And I walk in and I go, this is great. I'm thinking to myself, this is great. This is like a target-rich environment for a pastor. I mean, seriously, nobody invites pastors to these kind of parties, are you with me? That was funnier than you gave me. Okay? So anyway, so we're walking, and I noticed that Joe started out inviting me as his neighbor and his friend. Then it evolved into my neighbor, who's a pastor. And then I think he slipped once, and he said, this is my pastor. And my heart leaped because I knew he wasn't far from the kingdom. You know, sometimes what we fail to do is give people enough time to get there. And we want to push them so fast into belief or into the kingdom that they react and then they back off altogether. And I really want to just encourage you to allow people to belong within your circle of friendship before you put them into position of belief. Belief will come, but it comes through trusted relationships and friendships that you establish over a period of time. And that time for us, for Joe and I, it's already been a year and a half. So I've been cultivating for a year and a half. Church is not a safe place for him yet. That invite is not a safe place yet. So I try to find ways, like come to my house, come on over, whatever, let's have some coffee. I try to find safe places. Now some people, Church is a safe place today that you can invite them very easily. And you have to kind of look at your friendship and ask yourself kind of how, how do I measure this in the right kind of way? How do I discern by the Spirit? Because you see, wisdom is the reason of heaven. Did you hear me? Wisdom is the reason of heaven. Don't use the reason of earth to try to work yourself into a situation of inviting somebody to church. Ask God to give you his wisdom, Amen. Today I'm going to talk to you uh, about the subject of the presence of God. When you, have you ever walked into a room and you felt like someone was in the room but you didn't see anyone? 
You ever had that? Or have you ever been sitting at a restaurant and you had the feeling someone was looking at you? And most of the time, we're right when we have that sense, aren't we? Like something's in the room, someone's in the room, something's happening here, and it doesn't have to be bad. It can be very, very good. But you just know somebody is watching you. I was in a restaurant a few years ago, and uh, we, I was sitting down with someone, and we, were, we prayed, and then we had our dinner. And then at the end of the dinner, this guy walked up to me and goes, hey, I, I've been watching your whole lunch. And I go, well, that's weird. I don't know you. What do you mean you're watching me the whole time? He said, well, I know, I know who you are. You're a pastor, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I, I just wanted to see if you would pray. And I thought, isn't that interesting that people would just be curious enough to watch me? And I was the, most, I was the biggest social event in their life over lunch. That's weird, amen? But, but the idea is that somehow when we walk with God, we, we should be representing the presence of God. We should be carrying the presence of God. And sometimes we carry the presence of God and don't even know what we're carrying. That, that we bring into a situation a sense of God is in that room. And people may not even know what that is, but they, they know that somehow God is somehow in this situation or something feels different and better because of this situation. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah wrote this. He said, am I a God at hand? declares the Lord, and not a God far away. You see, what God is saying is, I'm right here. I'm not over there, I'm right here. You might feel like he's over there, but he's really right here. It's not that God is absent from your situation, it is that you don't sense him in your situation. And that what God wants to do is you want, he wants you to acknowledge him and so that he draws you into his presence. His, the awareness of who God is, the awareness that God is not distant, he is present. And then he said, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Sometimes when people lose a sense of the presence or they lose a sense of, of closeness to God, their first step is to kind of pull out of commu church community and, and they just kind of figure that somehow they're on a journey that, that is only unique to them. But actually, you see, this is a symbol of community. This is your community and this is the, the place that God wants you, but he wants you to acknowledge it so that you understand the presence. See, God didn't design us to be alone. He designed us to be in relationship. And so God says, declares the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So God says, I'm everywhere. I'm here and I'm there. And, and, and when you move, I want you to know that I'm in that situation you're in, regardless how difficult it is. Regardless what problems you face, I'm there. In fact, I preceded you there. I walked before you. The psalmist said, thou, Lord, art a shield all about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Think about that. God is a shield all around you, circular or all around you. We hold up the shield of faith, but God is all around us. You are my glory. The word glory is a Hebrew word, is a Hebrew word kabod. It means literally heavy, something heavy. And when you encounter the glory of God, you, you encounter something you feel, you feel the presence of God. There's something heavy and weighty about that. You are my glory, and watch this next thing, and the lifter of my head. Have you ever put your head down because you're so discouraged and defeated? Haven't we all? We've all had those moments. God says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do this. Don't look down, look up. I am your glory. I am the shield all about you. 
I am with you always wherever you go. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your God. What he wants us to do in those situations is acknowledge him. God, you are my God. I don't know what I'm going through, don't like what I'm going through, but I trust you with what I'm going through. Will the peace of God surpass all understanding? Would it guard me right now in this moment? Let me talk to you a little bit about the measures of his presence, that, that sometimes his presence is, is greater than at other times. Sometimes it's greater for the person standing next to you than it is for you. Sometimes you wonder, why is everybody so excited about what's going on, and you don't sense that same level of, of his spirit or his presence? Can I tell you it is not about God? It's about your perception of God. It's about how you're sensing God in that moment, and I want you to know it's as easy as stepping into it and saying, God, I want to sense and I want to feel your presence in this moment. We say that God is omnipresent. What, that, what does that mean? That means God is everywhere at the same time. He's not more there than he is over there. He's in this universe, but he's in every other universe because he's God. The psalmist put it like this, where can I go from your spirit? Where, where, can I, where can I go? Could I go into the darkest part of the world and not find you there? No, I'm there. You can go into the brightest part of the world and know I'm there. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? You cannot flee the presence of God. You can neglect the presence of God or you can acknowledge the presence of God, but you cannot get away from the presence of God because he is an ever-present help in time of trouble, amen? That's God. That's what God does. Also, I want you to think about the indwelling presence of God. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that his spirit comes to take up residence inside of you and you become the moving, breathing temple of the living God. This building is not the temple of God. This building is significant because we call it a church and we, the church attends it, but I want you to know what's significant is you. Because everywhere you go, you're carrying around the Holy Spirit. You're carrying around the power of God. Realize every, what's inside of you created the world. That's how much power you have. So I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, what else can we give you? You have God. You have God. In 1 John, look what it says here. It says, guard through the Holy Spirit, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. See, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he says, guard it. Guard what? Guard the Holy Spirit? No, guard the treasure that is in you. What's the treasure in you? That's the gifts and the ability that's your uniqueness to leverage yourself in the world for God. Guard that because nobody else has exactly what you have. And I believe what happens is that the reason people struggle here is they struggle because I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my identity is. And you cannot know your purpose and your identity apart from God because God was the creator. A manufacturer of a, of a vehicle, for example, knows the purpose of the vehicle and can identify with the vehicle in all ways. God is your creator. He knows what your purpose is. But until you draw into him, you can't fully understand who you are or what you're supposed to do in this life. And so it says guard that, guard it. Why? Because people are gonna try to take it from you. People are gonna try to take your identity and give you some false identity. And you'll try to be like somebody else. You were never intended to be that person. You were intended to be you. You're the best version of you on planet Earth. I want to be like so-and-so. Why? Why? Why not be fully you? 
Because a fully you is beautiful. A fake you is not. Be fully you. Also, let's look what about this manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God, it, we, maybe we can see it this way in, in 1 John 2.20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Who? Who's you? It's you. You, you, you. You know what that, that word anointing means? It means to smear something on like oil. You ever had a car that leaked oil on your driveway? And the only solution to it, honestly, is to park your car in the same place. Right? Because you can get the oil leak fixed, but the oil stain is still there. God says the anointing is on you. It stays on you. What you can do is you can try to park something over the anointing so no one sees the anointing, so you can live a different life, but the anointing is still on you. Amen? God says, I smeared it on you. When we first uh, started the church, one of the buildings we looked at is the current Hobby Lobby. And we decided the best thing to do would be to march around it like uh, Joshua did at Jericho. Remember? He marched around it seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And so we said, well, let's just march around. And it was a weird-looking group. Let me tell you something. We'd get like anywhere from 50, maybe 150 people, and we were walking around Hobby Lobby. Security guards didn't know what to do with us. You know, yeah, yeah, we're, you, we're just like Joshua marching around. You know, never really thought about the parallel, though, but because we really didn't want the walls to fall down because then we wouldn't have had a building. So, some, you know, the analogy fell up a little bit. But, but anyway, but what we did was we took oil and we put it on the door because it wasn't open at the time. There was no Hobby Lobby then. It was an empty building. It was Mervyn's. And so we took oil and we put it over all the door posts there on those aluminum door frames. If you go there, you can still see the stain of the oil because it doesn't leave. We left a permanent anointing on the building. We were with Steve Green a few years ago, the, uh, the founder and president of, of Hobby Lobby, and we said, hey, we anointed that building for you, and now we need a church-wide discount. He said, thank you, but no discount will be given. But anyway... But what is the idea that God puts something on you, whether you see it or not, it's there? Why not just acknowledge it and live out it? Live it out in your life. Manifest presence of God. In the presence of God, you'll often feel something tangible or heavy or weighty. It's the substance of God over you. That's what the word glory means. It's that word kabod. It's the word that means weighty. Wow, I, I feel God. You had those moments where he said, I feel God in this moment. Well, that's the glory of God. That's what he wants you to feel. That's why he does that. Because guess what? Christianity can't just be this right here. It has to be this and all of your emotions. It involves the entire part of your being, amen? Body, soul, and spirit. There's also the exponential presence of God. Jesus said something really interesting. He said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst, so it kind of begs the question, if I'm all alone, is God in the midst of them? God is there, but there's something that happens in community when two or more begin to gather, they begin to pray, they begin to seek out God. The, the presence of God is exponential in that situation. And God wants it that way because he wants us to realize we were made for community. We were made to be together. And one of the benefits of being together is exponential presence of God. How about this? God inhabits the praises of his people, the inhabited presence of God. Do you realize when you start to sing, he says, I inhabit the praises of my people. 
Here, wondered it, why is it that when I'm worshiping, I, I feel the presence of God sometimes in a greater way? I, I'm going to show you what I believe, and this I'm going to call a theory. Can everybody say theory? All right, because everybody goes out and quotes me, and then I say, no, that was a theory. Okay. How many of you saw Indiana Jones and the, uh, the Indiana and the Crusade? The, the, what was it called? Yeah, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. This is the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it was like a little box. If you've never seen the movie, go watch it, one of the great movies of all time, okay? Um, yes. And so this Ark here, was, a, was inside of it was the Ten Commandments. And then on the top was something called the Mercy Seat. And the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and he would sprinkle blood on the Mercy Seat, and that was to cover the law that was beneath. There were two cherubim that were, had outstretched wings over the, over the Ark of the Covenant, and they looked downward into the mercy seat. They didn't look into God. They looked to the mercy seat. Peter says they were baffled or amazed by the, by the very the redemption of mankind because angels have never been redeemed. Fallen angels are called demons. They've never been redeemed. So they're looking. They're going down, and they're looking to this mercy. And as I, I looked at that, I, I thought about it because God works in threes. When God wants to show you something divine, he'll show you uh, the number three. So, for example, when God created you, he created you body, soul, and spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's creation is past, present, and future. Uh, three primary colors make all the colors. And you can just go on and on and on about this number three. So I began to think about the covering cherub because the word covering, okay, is a Hebrew word that means atonement. And atonement is what we are. We are our sins are atoned for. They're covered. You see the idea? They're covered. So the covering cherubs, who were the cherubs that were covering? I believe Michael. Gabriel, we'll call him Gabe, easier to spell. But who was the third one? And I think the third one was Lucifer. But Lucifer, you remember, fell away from God, sinned, because I believe this ark originally could have had three cherubs over it, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Spirit. And so God loses his worship leader, Lucifer, so God says, I'm going to replace my worship leader, Lucifer, with my people who will praise my name. That's you. When you lift up a praise, God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. When, I, when they begin to worship, I feel at home. I feel like this is what it's all about. God says, I could raise up stones and stones could worship me, but why would I do that when I've got you? created in my image, and what better thing to bring up against the enemy are those created in the image of God who will give praise to me. So that's why the primary attack against you from Satan is because you remind him of what he once was. And guess what? You're the new sheriff in town. Amen? You, you now exercise power and authority in the spiritual realm of worship, and when you worship, and you say, well, I don't sing well. I didn't say anything about singing well. I said worship. Worship is not about the quality. It's about the attitude of heart. Not about the songs you sing. It's about what's in your heart. And you begin to give him praise. God, I just want to praise you. You're in a, in, in a situation where things aren't going bad. God, I'm going to praise you even though I don't want to. I'm going to praise you anyway. And I just start praising God, praising God. My situation may or may not get better, but I'm getting better. Amen. All right, so let's just, let's move on here. We're just getting started, warming up, amen? 
The presence of God is the atmosphere of heaven. When you sense the presence of God, you're, you're, you're experiencing a taste of heaven. This is what heaven's like all the time. It's like the presence of God all the time. That's why the Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll be in his presence. We will know him as he is. The Bible tells us that when we stand there before him, before that throne of God, and out of the throne comes the river of life, and on either side of the, of the river the trees that, that yield their fruit in all their season, their leaves are for the healing of the nations. And it says they won't need the sun or the moon or the stars for the glory of God. The weight of God will be their light, and they shall reign as kings forever and ever. And that God is raising up a generation, you see, of kings and priests that worship before the God, the God of the universe. And he says, no, you're, you're going to be in my presence all the time. You're not going to need the sun, the moon, or the light, or the stars, because I will be your light, and there will be no shadow of turning in my glory. In, in other words, in heaven, there are no shadows. The light is so perfect that every angle is effused with the, with the brilliant Shekinah glory of Almighty God. And everywhere I go, it's just light, it's light, it's light. Where's light? Everywhere's light. Light is so pure, it doesn't come from those heavenly bodies. It comes from the heaven, of, 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 of the God of all heaven and earth, amen? It comes from the Lord God Almighty. Now, remember this, this scripture? Thy kingdom come, Matthew 6. Thy will be done in earth, where? As it is in heaven. So he's telling us then, my kingdom is coming, and pray for my kingdom to come. But realize this, when you do this, you're really praying heaven to earth, right? Heaven to earth. Have you ever thought about Matthew 6, the, the Lord's Prayer? Have you ever thought about a little bit more about why did he teach them to pray that way? Where did he come up with those phrases? I want to just put the, the Lord's Prayer, because in Matthew chapter 4, what happens? In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is tempted of the devil. Let me just read this to you, okay? Matthew chapter four, this is the temptation of Jesus. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I don't know about you, when I read that I go, why would the Spirit do that? Why would he lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? And it says, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights after he was hungry, right? Yeah, no kidding. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he uses a word there, the word word, he uses a word rima. That means a revealed word. We don't, we don't thrive in the kingdom just because of the written word. We thrive also because of the revealed word. And he uses this phrase here, a revealed word. God has revealed something to me in this situation. Look what he says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's quoting there from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and then it goes on to say, then the devil took him up on a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And again, in their hands he shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, it is written, 
you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, and it says the devil left. Three temptations came against him. Chapter four. Now let me take you to what happens in chapter six, the model prayer. And I want you to see, you can't understand the model prayer or the Lord's prayer unless you understand that that it comes from his experience in chapter four of being tempted by the devil. Watch what happens in uh, Matthew chapter six. Our Father... Hallowed be in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he starts out by saying, let's acknowledge God. God is in heaven and his name is holy. That is, his character is holy. Now watch what comes next. Your kingdom. Remember what Satan said? Take my kingdom, follow me. No, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not doing the, the, the will of myself or of the enemy. I'm gonna do the will of God. And on earth as it is in heaven. Now watch this. Give us this day our daily bread. What was it, the first temptation? Turn these stones into bread. You see how this is all based on the temptation? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, so-and-so owes me so much money. How much money, how much money, time, and energy do you owe God? Oh God. How can I how can I hold this over someone and yet God doesn't hold anything over me? You want it even, or do you want grace? God says, okay, pay me back, and I'll make sure that guy gives you your $10 back. Pay me back, here's the price. Your only son, your firstborn. That's what I paid for you. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And look at this. And do not lead us into temptation. Remember, Jesus was what? Led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us what? Not from evil, from the evil one, from Satan himself. He was tempted by Satan himself in the garden. He says, when you pray, deliver us from the evil one. Not evil experiences. You just need to be delivered from the devil. Just say, hey, God, I'm gonna walk in your power. I'm not gonna be influenced by that. And guess whose kingdom is? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever. Amen. You see what God is saying is the kingdom, the power, and the glory is all God's. You read over there in the temptations, Satan thought it was all his. Hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Why would I take a shortcut to what I already have? Why would you take a shortcut on what God has already given you? Why would you forfeit the best for the rest? Why would you do that? You see, the presence of God is what I call manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God. Let me take you now to, we're in this series on kingdom discipleship. Let me take you to Luke chapter 10 and verse two. Jesus gets the 70 together. The 12 have trained the 70. And he says, guys, I want you to know something. There's a harvest out there. There are people that are ready to believe. There are people that are ready to receive the message of God. But guess what? The harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. The people who tell the story, they're few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. You see, it's his harvest. Have you ever prayed, God, I just pray that you'll send someone out to tell somebody about Jesus? Have you ever done that? It's kind of a self-correcting prayer. 
how do I pray that and not do it myself? Right? He says, the harvest. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Nothing's changed there. Guess what? You can go out as a lamb among the wolves because you, if you have the shepherd with you. See, without a shepherd, without spiritual covering in your life, you are like a lamb subject to the wolf. Remember when uh, in the Psalm 23, uh, and, and all of a sudden you see this scene, what, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember that? I will fear no evil. Well, how do you do that? We're talking about the, the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad, amen? All right, I will fear no evil. Well, I do. Why, why don't I fear evil? Because I got the shepherd with me, thy rod, and they staff, they comfort me. He takes me through, okay, okay, you got this, God, right? You got this. Yeah, I got the rod, the staff. I'm the good shepherd. Don't worry about it. All is good. Walking through the valley of the shadow. Walking through the valley. Where are we going? We're going to go up here and sit down at a banquet table. Oh, good, finally. I get a break. Yeah, but it's going to be in the presence of your enemies. What? It's going to be what? Yeah. He sets me down in a table and he anoints my head with oil, which sounds kind of gross, but then it was cool, okay? He anoints my head with oil, and he, cu- he, he fills my cup to overflowing. Sounds messy, we don't do that today. It's all pictures of abundance and anointing, right? And he says, it's in the presence of my enemies. You mean to tell me, we're gonna have a banquet table, you're gonna smear oil on me, we're gonna have a big cup of juice, whatever you got in that cup, and we're gonna have a big banquet table, and all around us are our enemies. Yes, and they can't touch you. What's more, what's more frustrating to an enemy that you eat, sitting down, relaxing, and eating during the battle? I don't know about you, but I think it's a great metaphor. I'm sitting down, I'm, I'm chowing down a little piece of turkey here. Jesus putting oil on my head. Fill that one up again. Oh, that's, yeah, it's full. Okay, yeah, good. And all of my enemies are going, I can't get him. I want to get him. Do you realize when you walk in the power of the God, the anointing of God, God, that Satan can't touch you? He's just watching you frustrated. He's frustrated because you're just sitting there chowing down. You got, a, you got a drumstick in your hand. You're going, this is good. That's the picture. Look what he says. Now carry neither with you uh, money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet no one along the road. You know what he's doing? He's teaching them something about the process of faith. He's trying to say, I want you to go into every situation not relying on your own money, your own resources, and your own time. I want you to rely on me. That's the faith walk. That's what it means to be a kingdom disciple, is I'm gonna walk with God and trust him. He says, greet no one along the way. You say, well, that sounds kind of rude. Walking along the road. No, he's not trying, remember, he's not trying to give you a description on how to live your life exactly. He's trying to give you principles. In other words, don't let someone detract you from your mission. Because there's always going to be someone come along, hey, you know what, I know you're, you're on a mission to Jesus, but can you come over here and help me on my mission for a while? No, i got to stay on my mission, my mission, my mission, my mission. You stay on course. And then he says this. This is really interesting. But whatever house you enter, say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. A son of peace is someone who doesn't, hasn't yet accepted the message 
but doesn't reject the message. And it says when you do that, your peace will rest on them. Did you know that you can give peace to other people? The peace of God that's on you can give to other people? You can do that. You know, when Rome conquered the first century world, what they would do is they would send in someone called an apostle. An apostle is not a strictly Christian or Bible term. It was actually a term that Rome used for someone they would send into a city, and their job was to transform that city by its language. They would start speaking Greek, transform their culture, their road system, and all these other things. They would transform that city so that when the emperor showed up, it would feel like Rome. For example, you can go into a city called Nîmes down in southern France, and you walk in, there's a Colosseum. There's all kinds of buildings, Roman architectures everywhere. Why? Because Rome sent an apostle in to make the city look and feel like Rome. Do you realize you're sent to planet Earth to make planet Earth look like heaven? You start to speak the language, you start to transform it, you're supposed to shape it after the image of heaven. Last week, we were asked to be a part of the mayor's prayer breakfast, and I was the MC, and Influence Music did the worship there. And there were probably six or 700 people there, I really don't know for sure, but the person who sponsored it, who paid for that event, sent me a text afterwards and said, thank you so much for bringing this back to the way it used to be, to bringing Christ back into this situation. Do you realize we acted as an apostle? We transformed culture a little bit. We shaped the language of what they were going to say. Between every, every event, I was able to shape the next person, shape how it was set up, shape it. You think we're not shaping our culture? We think because everything is an instant, we are not shaping. No, we're shaping our world. And we need to be shapers of the kingdom of God. He says, if, if they don't accept the peace, it'll come back on you. Do you realize that you can release peace, but it can come back on you like double? When someone rejects it, they can receive it, but you can get it back double upon you. Let me show you a couple of things here. These 70 were unprepared they were unprepared. They, the unprepared were fully prepared by the presence. You ever felt unprepared as a Christian? Gosh, if you haven't, I don't know who you are. Unprepared. God says, you're not prepared because you've had, you know, 10 years in church and 40 different classes on the subject. I think we overprepare our followers with knowledge and underprepare them with presence. I'd rather see you go out with the presence of God and no knowledge and go out with knowledge and no presence. He sent them out. He said, guys, go on out, and you're going to figure this out as you go because you're going to go in the presence. You say, see, as they went, faith would connect them to the presence. When you walk by faith, it connects you to the presence of God. I'm just walking by faith. I don't know how this works, but I'm going to trust him. And then it says they were to release peace on a person. They were to release Jesus on people. He's our peace, amen, the God of all peace, passes all understanding, Would you just stand with me right now? So I'm going to pray. I know some of you thought when you looked at the clock how long the worship set was, you said, we're here till 2. Hey, good news, we're right on time. You know what right on time is in the second service? 
when we're done. Amen. That's why people go to the first service because they go, no, there's a cutoff time there. That other service is still going on from last week. I know it. That's why I'm not going. The, the thing that the greatest miracle in this house today is if you don't know Christ and you come to faith in Christ. That's the greatest miracle. That's greater than you getting a job, greater than you being healed. The greatest miracle is if you don't know God and you come into the kingdom of God. You go from darkness into light. You come from death into life. Amen? First service we had, I think, 12 people come to faith in Christ. That's a miracle. Hey, put your hands together. Glory to God for that. Amen? But here's what I want to do. I want to to start with you who may be uncertain or certain that you don't know Christ. I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I can give you the words, but only you can give you the faith to say, I trust that, I believe that. So pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried in a tomb and risen from the dead to give me life. I receive you as my Lord as my Savior, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill my heart. God, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If that was your prayer, I want you to know, just keep your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, I want you to know that God did exactly what you asked him to do. He saved you. He wrote your name in his Book of Life. Now you walk in that faith. You walk in that truth. If that was your prayer, would you slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up and say, that, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today. God bless you guys. Amen. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now, if you know you're a Christian, can I ask you this? Are you carrying the presence of God faithfully? This is not a guilt thing. If you say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or no, or I don't think so, can I just challenge you to do this? I want to. Amen? I just want to do that, God. I just want to do that. I may not know how to do that, but I just want to be faithful and carry the presence of God. If you will say, I want to, God will give you the way. Amen?